I think humor is really important and I don't like to use it as a strategy mm. because I don't like to really think of speaking in that way. The, you know, the manipulative, how can I control the audience's attention? It's such an outdated way of thinking about influence. And I just don't think that it's the only way, yeah. but humor is so important for me to feel like myself. If you're the type of person that enjoys being funny or can make your friends laugh or just has a quirky side, then that's probably one of your most heightened states of awareness. You feel awesome being funny. What does it take to do the impossible? What does it take to level up your game like never before? What does it take for individuals, organizations, for even institutions to achieve paradigm shifting? Nothing is ever the same again, breakthroughs. Our mission is to decode the neurobiology of flow and cognitive peak performance. Access the minds of maverick scientists, groundbreaking innovators, and world-leading experts to understand what it takes to achieve ultimate human performance. So you can feel your best, perform your best, and accomplish your boldest goals. I'm your host, Rian Doris, and together with best-selling author Stephen Kotler, I present to you Flow Research Collective Radio. Tell me about, so, so far we've covered, you know, some state management, how to get into flow, be, be in an optimal state to access flow, to speak. We've talked about the one thing that really sets us up. Um, we've talked about some grit training and, and adding some intentional turbulence to get high quality reps in. Um, what we haven't talked about though, uh, is one of your principles, finish strong. Can you tell me, can you talk a little bit about why that's so important, but also why is it so hard? Why does that need to be something that we emphasize in training? Well, I'm a freestyle rapper and part of being a freestyle rapper is Googling freestyle rappers. <laughs> and one day I stumbled upon this study that put freestyle rappers into an MRI machine and asked them to freestyle so that they could study the brain activity while they're in flow. And what they discovered was that as people, these rappers began to freestyle, this prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's analyzing and judging it beautifully, it shuts off. There's no activity there anymore, as you would expect, because they're in flow. In fact, uh, freestyling is often, the, the term is called flowing. And so it makes sense. They're in flow. What's fascinating is that the prefrontal cortex stays off the entire time, except this pattern emerged where as the freestyle rappers were concluding, all of a sudden this part of the brain just lights up and starts going crazy and it was consistent. So it makes sense because as the freestyle rappers are concluding, they have to Think of a conclusion of how to summarize everything or how to end beautifully while staying on beat, while making sure it rhymes. And that's so much cognitive load that essentially at the end of the flow cycle, the brain wakes up and says, uh-oh, I got to wrap up. And we've noticed that whether it's in freestyle rapping or in speaking, as soon as it's time to wrap up, as soon as you approach the end of what you're wanting to say, it's like your brain wakes up. It exits flow and it becomes self-aware of like, oh my God, was I speaking this whole time? How do I end? And it's a very internal process. It just kind of feels a little bit like, like, yeah, like waking up from the flow of speaking. And when you wake up from flow, it feels clunky. 
it doesn't feel like flow anymore. And the ingredient that we see in most people is they begin to doubt everything that they just said. They begin to second guess it all, but there's nothing they can do about it. It's the end. Like, you know, what else can you do? You're, you're approaching the end. So what we've noticed is that most people will end weak. They will approach that moment, they'll snap out of flow, and something about the way that they end, you'll see whether it's the it's the, the slouching, whether the voice trails off, there's whether it's just like, and uh, yeah, I guess that's that's uh, all I all I have to say. It's like this this meekness that enters, and it's subtle, but when you're a public speaking coach, you start to look for it and you see that. All of us tend to do it because we just lose that confidence. We start to second-guess ourselves. And so the principle of end strong doesn't mean say something meaningful. It doesn't even mean like say something brilliant. It just means keep your confidence through the finish line. Put that extra confidence. Be mindful that your brain's going to try and trick you into thinking you should be less confident. So right at the end, when it's time to wrap up, you could use a summary prompt. You could say, at the end of the day, all I'm trying to say is blah, 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 blah. But regardless of what you say, it's how you say it. It's putting that extra emphasis of confidence and just making sure that when you're finished speaking, you say your final words with a little bit more energy, and then you hold the pose. You stay in character because even after you're done speaking, you've got to make sure you play the part. You can't just shrink down. So... Ending strong is just a reminder that your brain's going to try and trick you and you need to undo the effects of that by putting just a little bit more confidence into how you say your final words. I think this is such a fascinating phenomenon. This is not something that was on my radar at all until working with you. And now I see it everywhere. Like it really is. It You, you see people doing this on a really regular basis. And like you said, it, it tracks because our brain you know, has the pattern of transient hypofrontality when we're in flow. And then when we're starting to, uh, you know, we're starting to see that that clock tick down, it's our time is almost up and we have to wrap things up that yanks us right out of flow. And if you're, I think, not acutely aware that there is a tendency then to end weak, right, then that's just what happens. So I think Number one is just building an awareness that most people have this tendency to start to trail off or lose their confidence and it's visible. So number one, being vigilant. But then number two, okay, so now that I know that this happened, what do I do about it? What are your, what's, what strategies would you, should I practice implementing when I'm getting reps in to end strong? Ending strong is as simple as ending strong. <laughs> it's, it's funny because of how ridiculous that sounds, but it's it's very true. It's better to end mid-sentence or just hold the pose, just like a gymnast would, than to weakly try and do something. So if I'm just speaking and then I just stop, that feels like an ending. It feels strong. I, using a summary prompt to help conclude. So if you, if one strategy, if you notice you're kind of rambling or losing your train of thought, or it feels like it's time to wrap up, but I'm not really sure how you just say, so in summary, right? So to wrap it all up for you, 
mm-hmm. just say a word of those for few words and your brain will do it for you. And suddenly you'll have wrapped it up and closed it really simply. Um, but really what it means is making your ending sound like an ending. Just make your last sentence sound like you're finished. Sure. I, I liked, um, and I, so I think really being intentional about your energy or the, 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 po- I like holding the pose. I like that cue a lot. Um, Michael, something that you dropped off with us was just the way you say thank you at the end is, is a bit of a release. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think it's about making an intentional landing. And some people, when they finish speaking, they can feel that they didn't land well. Like, it's just a feeling of like, wow, I, I really botched that last sentence. And so the the strategy here is if you feel like that wasn't a landing, go back in for one more circle. And that that one more sentence can be, and so in conclude, that's that's really all I all I've been thinking about today. Thanks. Like your final sentence can be, and that's all I have to say on that. Or, and that's my idea so far. It's just one final sentence, but what you're doing is you're taking control of when you end and you're deciding I'm going to deliberately end and land the plane on my own terms. And sometimes it can be as simple as thank you. It's a little weird if you're like, you know, with a group of friends and they're like, <laughs> thank you. But it's it's just about building the awareness and the habit of did I was I in control of my landing or did I just kind of abruptly finish and feel uncomfortable about uh, uncomfortable about it? If that discomfort is there, you're not done. Go back in for one more sentence. It doesn't have to be a brilliant sentence, but just land on your own terms and build the habit of every time you speak, you're the one that's in control. And I think this really just continues to underscore the importance of being fully present, right? And connected to who you're speaking with. If you are preoccupied with a script that you've memorized, you cannot also pay attention to the energy in the room or your own energy even, right? Like your bandwidth is used up. And so I I love that just throughout this conversation, we've highlighted all of the other important things that you're going to be able to attend to, to make your speaking excellent and to really enjoy it. Um, these are all the wins that you get if you don't attach yourself to a script, right? Yeah, uh, totally. So I'd love to talk a little bit about, so I don't know if you all are aware of this, but you're featured in one of our uh, course modules. Uh, so in our Climbing Mount Bold course, Rian talks about um, a pivotal moment uh, in his career where he was working with some brilliant speaking coaches and uh, he entered into a speaking competition and he was feeling awesome about his performance. And then it ends up that he, you know, got, he got beat by uh, this woman who told a story about her cat eating pancakes. And this is where he learned the vital lesson of the power of storytelling when you speak. And so can you talk a little bit about why is it important to integrate storytelling into a talk? What does it do for you? Why did Rian get beat by a cat eating pancake story? I think it comes back to, again, to where we come from as human beings. 
writing words on paper is actually pretty recent. If you wanted to survive, you're better off listening to the elders tell you about that time they walked in the forest and they heard that strange noise and they didn't pay attention and then were face to face with a leopard. And for some magical reason, they made it out or it's their friend that's telling the story. And because it's told as a story, sitting by the fire, it's fascinating. You listen, you're lost, your brain, where we've evolved so that those who paid attention during that story survived and those who didn't got eaten by the leopards. So I think there's something really deeply ingrained within us that when we listen to somebody telling a story, we can't help but pay attention. It's beautiful. And there's this saying that people don't listen to your story. They live their own stories through your story. So that's a, I want that to be a permission to tell even the most basic stories, something that feels so personal that are so, that almost feel selfish. Like I'm just talking about myself. But really, if you dive into a story, whatever it is, what, what's happening is the person listening is going to go into their own world. And it's this beautiful gift you're giving them once more. So storytelling, and I think we can, we can actually widen storytelling a little bit to anecdotes as well. Sure. Like Michael earlier shared uh, an anecdote. What was it, Michael? Were you talking about? Oh, yeah. Just like flying the planes, right? Pilots flying on clear skies versus managing turbulence. And then suddenly he says, and so when I think about speaking, and then he just brings us right back to that. And suddenly everything makes sense in your mind and it feels so great. And it sticks. I still remember that story. So it, the easiest way to grab someone's attention and hold it is to tell a story. What's pretty magical about storytelling is if you learn the correct way of telling stories, you also discover that it's a phenomenal way to feel like yourself and have seemingly an infinite amount of things to say when you're in front of a group or on a stage. Because if you're telling a story, particularly something that you lived through, then you know it. It's easy. There's not much you need to remember. So true. And it, so I think I'm hearing it helps you show up authentically as you. It's interesting, right? It People pay more attention to stories because you're contextualizing the lesson in a way that's really easy to digest. And then something I want to really emphasize is it's stickier, right? When you're telling a story, yes. when we're listening, those areas of our brain. So if you know, you're talking about eating a cheeseburger, the parts of my brain you know, if I was eating a cheeseburger, start to light up. So it's all being embodied far more than, you know, if it was just a, you know, if if it wasn't contextualized or couched within a story itself. So, I mean, I think that you're checking so many important boxes uh, when you when you integrate storytelling into your into your talks. Um, what about so? You know. Fans of the Flow Research Collective are, are you know, well-versed in flowy neurochemistry. And part of flowy neurochemistry is dopamine and serotonin and andamides, endorphins. Um, these are the same neurotransmitters that are secreted when we think something's funny. So we always, at, at, you know, Stephen Kotler talks a lot about starting talks with 
um, by making people laugh because that's going to make all of the science later even stickier because he's uh, driven the secretion of the flowy neurochemistry. He's primed them. Um, And obviously people enjoy talks when they're laughing. So how important do you think humor is? And what if you're not funny? Oh, that then... (laughs) You've got no chance. (laughs) I think humor is really important, and I don't like to use it as a strategy because I don't like to really think of speaking in that way. The, you know, the manipulative, how can I control the audience's attention? It's such an outdated way of thinking about influence, and I just don't think that it's the only way. But humor is so important for me to feel like myself. If you're the type of person that enjoys being funny or can make your friends laugh or just has a quirky side, then that's probably one of your most heightened states of awareness. You feel awesome being funny. Uh, When I'm with Tristan, it's terrible because he doesn't laugh at most of my jokes. But when I'm with, you know, (laughs) when I'm with, when I'm with people that I'm really close with, my natural humor comes out. So when I have a talk or a presentation, I always strive to get that first joke out. Always try to to crack little moments of humor, but not so that I can influence the audience or so that I can connect deeper with them, but so that I can give myself permission and go, whew, okay, there I am. There he is. There's that guy. And then once I feel like myself, I feel at ease, more at ease. And it's almost like a decision of, you know what, today in front of this audience, I'm going to show up a little bit more like me, a little bit more real, a little bit more personal. So when I'm in environments where I get tricked into hiding my sense of humor, like we all do in the professional world in some cases, it feels constricting. Yeah. feels a little bit like I'm not myself. And so people want to improve in those scenarios. And they say, well, what are some strategies? And what are some phrases I can use and, and frameworks? But the problem is you don't feel like yourself. So you're... Your thinking brain is jumping into the picture. And I think humor is one of those universal ways to to connect with ourselves and to decide, you know what, despite the professionalism, despite the formality, I'm going to let my humanness come through a little bit. And then if I'm comfortable, I'm also emanating permission for other people to, to get comfortable. And then it just gets a little bit more real all around. Hey, it's Joshua with the production team. Thanks for listening to Flow Research Collective Radio. Before we dive back into our conversation, there's something to consider. It may be that today we are under-challenged. We're drowning in comfort. Now, in his book, Anti-Fragile, statistician Nassim Taleb pointed out something that's of key importance. Quote, Undercompensation from the absence of challenge degrades the best of the best. The best horses lose when they compete with slower ones and win against better rivals. Now, put another way, Who we could be, or our highest potential, is squandered by safety, coddled by comfort. If you want to train with us at the Flow Research Collective, it will require boldness. But what's life without a little adventure, right? To learn more about how you can get more flow in your life and achieve your professional and personal goals in less time and with more ease, go to getmoreflow.com. If you're a good fit, we'd love to train with you. All the best. 
I think the permission piece is huge. Like not only permission for you as the speaker to show up as yourself, but also, you know, for the audience that, oh, I'm going to have a good time. I can, I can be myself here too. And it becomes more of a conversation than speaker versus audience, which in my experience makes the, the whole event so much richer. It's such a, it's such a better um, engagement for everybody. So, and, and I've definitely fallen into this trap of I'm delivering a neuroscience heavy, you know, workshop. This is not, it doesn't in, inherently feel like a place for humor. Um, what, how do you coach people who are maybe going into it that way? Like, because it doesn't feel like the space for like a knock, knock joke. <laughs> knock, knock. It's dope. <laughs> I'll work on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Even the awareness that this is a serious topic. Like I, one of my favorite jokes that always gets a laugh is when I hold public speaking trainings and I go like, so I know everyone woke up today going, fantastic. I can't wait for this public speaking training. It's the way I want to start my morning. So just like the more you, you are aware of what people are feeling or how you, they're interpreting you, the more you can use that and, and draw attention to it. We actually have a, a, a class every week at Ultra Speaking called how to be more funny it's it's a it's a it's a good one to take and it's really you know what it is i'm no expert on this but it's less about how do i turn dry material into humorous material it's for me it's more of a mindset of how can i access that side of myself Mm -hmm. where i just am in a plate more playful mood how can I set that intentionality before going into this event? And then the humor will hopefully naturally arise in these small ways to lighten the seriousness of the moment. I think that's a great steer. I think that's a great steer of how can you be intentional about your energy going in and what would kind of make you feel a little bit looser, a little bit more playful. I also really like the cue of trying to place yourself Uh, in the audience's shoes of what they might be feeling. I think that that's really effective. And that's actually how I've opened up um, the door to a little bit of humor in my talks. Uh, You know, we run a state management exercise right off the bat and I make everyone get up and do some warm ups to get themselves out of their out of their head and into their bodies. And they look a little bit silly. And I noticed that people were feeling self-conscious. And so that's the, you know, I say, if you feel like maybe you look ridiculous right now, you absolutely do. And that always, like, everyone laughs, and now they're playing, and it, it just opens the room up, right? Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's a great cue, and that I think that I'll use that moving forward. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really helpful. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about, so you're both coaches. We're co- I'm a coach, and we have a high-flow coaching program at FRC. And so I'm really interested to hear a little bit about your coaching philosophy and and maybe how you plan or prepare a coaching session. (laughs) That's funny because we uh, do very little planning or preparation um, in the sense that we don't sit down and create a structure, for example, or we don't define what the first five minutes will be and then the next 10 minutes and this or that. Our preparation is coaching and is thinking about speaking 
and having conversation. So what we, the way we coached is rooted in this belief that the person in front of me has all the answers. And my job is not to give them the answers. It's not to download my brain into theirs. It's to put them in states and help them get to a place where they discover for themselves that they that the the answer that they had the whole time because so much of speaking is it's it's mixed into your how you see yourself it's so tied into your self-worth i feel like a lot of what we've spoken about is I think would be is really valuable for most people when they think about speaking. But there's a very large subset of people who have tremendous anxiety, sometimes even panic or panic disorders related to speaking. And that's oftentimes very, very linked to their own place in the world, how they see themselves. Are they allowed to take space? That's one of the other reasons we didn't mention why taking a breath, pausing, important is like am i worthy can i just take up space am i interesting so a lot of this is very deeply rooted and as coaches we need to be in a state where we can be present enough to pick up on those things so the way we think about coaching is yeah we want to we want to guide the person in a very uh embodying all of the ultra speaking principles in an interesting way we need to stay in character we need to be we need to end strong we need to choose a strong direction and we need to be willing to pause and breathe and change that direction if it doesn't feel right and choose an equally strong direction that might be in a very different uh direction but basically when it if i boil down the essence of what our coaching looks like it's we meet someone and as quickly as possible, we try to get a sense of who that person is and what the fully expressed version of them would look like. So we try to build in our mind what this version of just more of what I see in front of me. Who does this person look like if they own completely who they are? If they're a little bit funny, if, they're, if that funny is, I can see it. If they're confident, if they're clear, and I hold that vision in my mind of who I think they can be. And then it's just a game of guiding them there. So we have all our tools and everything we can use, but really the best coaching sessions are the ones where I say the least, and I just point them in the right direction and offer them reps. And then they discover, and oh, I see this, and oh, wow, this is working. And we just keep going, keep going until we inch our way closer to that, that vision that we had initially a phenomenal answer and I you know I was really excited to ask you this question because just from working with you it it feels so in alignment with how we coach at FRC as well which is profoundly client focused and really what you're talking about is setting up an environment in a coaching session to achieve group flow with your coachee or client right which requires just complete immersion in the moment with them you've set the environment you maybe ask the questions, you you know, ask them to perform in a certain way, and and they're on a, a path discovery that you're gently kind of guiding or putting guardrails on. Um, but it's an incredibly collaborative process, and it's about energy management. It's about 
staying in the moment with them and partnering with them on that journey, that's where you really achieve those huge learnings. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, you, you said it beautifully and that's very much how we operate in our space as well as starting off with, okay, where are you now? Um, what would peak performance look like for you? And then let's partner on that path to achieve that together. Yeah. And you want, you want it to be experiential to anchor the insight yeah. because it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to be told and, and, and get that feedback from a person, but it's, it's totally different to experience the strategy working for you in real time. And so part of, uh, our collective work is to create that environment to anchor the ability to, to succeed and to feel the success experientially. And then you're, it's, it's like you're memorizing it on a cellular level. And so if we can do that multiple times in a session, then then you feel the success and then it's not just cognitive. It's like something you're really anchoring and speaking is all about these habits, right? It's just because I like to think of speaking as uh, high performance sports in the mm -hmm. sense that when you, when it's a buzzer beater and you throw the ball up in the air, it's just muscle memory that's working for you. And when it's match point and you're under pressure, like there's a lot of potential for error unless you relax into your instincts and so for these speaking habits like staying in character pausing and breathing using summary prompts these are not just strategies they need to be instincts for it to feel natural and that's why that instinct has to appear in the coaching session multiple times so that it's programmed into your way of being and slowly we rewire the body and the mind to just build healthier speaking habits that reflect the more empowered, confident, collected version of yourself. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, I had a very similar experience training with you that, you know, it was one of the best compliments I've ever received as a coach that one of our clients said, I've never trained in such a profoundly challenging environment that is equally as supportive right and, and that's really what we're going for is that challenge skill sweet spot where we're pushing people to the edge they're experiencing i like your term micro failures but we're supporting them just enough as they learn to really you know form those instincts and form those peak performance habits in that environment that that's i think really where you accelerate learning um, I, I think that's the winning combination. And that's exactly how I felt, honestly, trading with you, Michael, where it was really challenging. It was intense in the moment, but you were right there the whole time with you. Just breathe, stay in it and strong. Right. And that's, that's really what, and I mean, what I, we had three sessions together, but I think that because it was so experiential, because it was so challenging, but you provided just enough support for me to really practice and implement the tools they got locked in very quickly um, which i think is amazing yeah and i think that's the the premise that we want to spread to the to the world is that it doesn't take a long time it doesn't have to because people have been speaking their entire lives so we already have access to these instincts to these tools it's just in the moment of uncertainty our brain tends to default to the fear response. Yeah. And so if we can just isolate those moments and, and switch a couple of habits, 
truly we can tap into because everyone knows what it's like to speak to a great friend and get lost in flow we even say like we got lost in the conversation it feels amazing we all know that feeling so it's just about taking something you already know and bringing it to environments where you're not used to feeling it as much so i do want to put that out into the world that it can happen really really quickly and that anybody can become a great communicator because you've been you've been speaking all your life Truly, and I think, you know, flow is not just about performing your best. It's about feeling your best as well, right? It, they happen simultaneously and flow follows flow. So when you're training this way, and I think really what we're talking about is training in this way where you're really executing high quality, meaningful reps, right? Not just in the easiest circumstances, but in these more turbulent circumstances that are pushing you and taking you to the edge of your skill set. Once you lock it in and you you get those experiences of staying in it and how good that feels, it builds your confidence and it becomes easier and easier to lock in. Because not only does it it not only does it look better, it sound it feels better too, right? I think that internalizes it very very quickly. Absolutely. So we've covered a lot of ground today. Um, so I wanna I wanna close things with a final question that I thought would be fitting, which is what is the one thing and i'd like both of you to answer what is the one thing you hope our listeners walk away from today with my one thing is i think always the same has been the same since the beginning of my journey into speaking and it's really that this is speaking is a skill or a game and it's learnable. Just learn the rules, play, and just like any other game out there, you can get good at it. Too many people live their life struggling with speaking either through anxiety and panic or just underperforming or there's even the edge case of people who are actually performing well, but they hate it. Or they're losing days of sleep before every presentation. And in a lot of jobs, you have to give a presentation every week. So you're just living a very tough life. But there is a world for all of you, for anybody who really wants it, where speaking equals ease, where you can feel at ease in every interaction. And a lot of us, I don't think, I think most people don't realize that it's learnable and it's learnable a lot quicker than you'd imagine. So speaking is a skill. Speaking is a game. One, at one point we'd say, speaking is a game. Learn to play. That was one of our taglines at one point. I really love, love it. <laughs> what about you, Michael? I don't know. That's such a tough question, Tori. That's one thing. Just take a breath. Speak before you to the side. Pause. <laughs> I once had a a friend when I first started um, learning public speaking. Um, I once had a, a friend at the time, they weren't even a friend, point out to me like, oh, you're really good at this. And I didn't, I like resisted that so much. Uh, and I was like, no, 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 this is terrifying for me. This is, I, I grew up really shy and anxious and introverted. So for me, it was impossible to believe. And she said, well, 
I know it's terrifying, but in my experience, some of your greatest fears can become your greatest gifts. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason for the thing that we are scared of. It's uh, There's this beautiful quote of like, I'm going to butcher it, I'm so sorry. But it's something along the lines of like, we're not scared of, of failing. We're, we're scared of, of the possibility of how, how bright we could shine if we succeed. Like there is this, there's also an equivalent fear around just being that person that we dream of being. And for me, it was always to be the, the, the self-expressed human being because I grew up kind of the opposite. And so I think what we're trying to do is, is pave a way for any human, regardless of skill set, regardless of starting point, to create this possibility that truly there's no such thing as a natural. The naturals have these learned behaviors and some come more easy than others, but but we've tried our best to dissect the skill down into micro skills and to isolate the ones that matter to you. I think that it's cool to get better at speaking. You, there are a thousand tools out there. And if you're already pretty good and you're looking to get the edge, that's nice. That Go for it. But the people that are closest to my heart are the people who think they can never get good at this that this is a crippling fear and that it's just not who they are. And it's to those people that I want to say, this is going to be your greatest gift one day. I've lived it. I know it. And I've seen it happen over and over and over and over at ultra speaking. So can you plant the possibility in your mind? It's almost 2023. New year is starting. Like this is the highest leverage habit to invest in because we speak everywhere. And I'm just so, so grateful that I did it for myself. And I want the entire world to, to experience that feeling of, of freedom through speaking. I love that. And I, you know, we talk about expanding that, that belief spotlight of what's possible. And I, you're absolutely right that speaking is a huge, huge source of leverage. And it's so worth it to explore that possibility. Um, you know, my... I, I thought about it because you've coached me for what my one thing for today was. And what I'm hoping is that, you know, our mission at the Flow Research Collective is to bring flow and the ability to unlock flow on demand to as many people as possible. And I hope people listen to this and see speaking now as this opportunity to access flow. And you do it all the time. What a profound source of leverage and an incredible skill to have to every time you speak not only to be able to get into flow individually but be that group flow catalyst and it's just so entirely possible if you set yourself up for success by practicing these high quality reps by using the strategies that you both talked about today so with that i just want to say thank you for sharing all of those incredible strategies with our collective um they've been profoundly impactful to me i've been excited to bring them to the coaching team at FRC and now the collective um, as a whole. So just thank you so much for being here and for, for doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Hey, it's Joshua with the production team. Summer's here, things are heating up and ice cream is calling. But imagine that instead of just getting to enjoy ice cream, you had to run an ice cream business. 
Meet Nikki Schroeder, a recent graduate of Zero to Dangerous and Chief Revenue Officer of High Road Craft Ice Cream. Nikki runs the fastest growing ice cream manufacturer in the country. Before training with us at the Flow Research Collective, her life was understandably hectic. Running the company and taking care of her family required Nikki to be on her feet nonstop. As she put it after finishing training with us, quote, Zero to Dangerous has given me powerful peak performance tools for me to take back control of my life and find balance in my hectic lifestyle. Now, we're delighted that you got so much out of Zero to Dangerous, Nikki, and we wish you nothing but success with your business. If you're listening in, you want more control, balance, and flow in your life, come train with us. Just go to getmoreflow.com. That's getmoreflow.com. All the best. If what you've heard on Flow Research Collective Radio has been helpful, please consider doing us a solid and leaving us a review on Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this. Reviews help us connect to a wider audience so we can get these peak performance principles out to more people.